Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and today I'm here with my special guest, Anel DeCastro. Anel is the Director of Design Services at Design Center of the Americas in Dania Beach, which is between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. And today we're going to talk about the world of interior design because it's really starting to become a, a very a hot topic for a lot of people. They see shows on HGTV and all the different designers and they're like, you know what, I want to remodel my house or I want to buy a new home and remodel it. And people are really getting more and more interested in it. However, there is a lot of specialties that you need to know about interior design. And so that's why I reached out to Anel and she gladly agreed to come on the show. So Anel, thanks so much for coming on the show and tell me a little bit about the Design Center of the Americas. Wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for having me, Ben. Um, I'm super excited to be on the show and to be able to talk to you about this topic. It's my passion. It's my love. It's the only thing that I've done professionally for the last 15 years. And um, it's my pleasure to be able to tell you all about it. So here at the Dakota, uh, you know, the acronym is uh, for the Design Center of the Americas. We are a 30-year entity in the design world. We have a lot of history here. Um, and we're located so close to the airport and right off the beach, so it's a very accessible location. Um, but we are the Bentley of interior design, the very high end. And so we are open to the public. Um, the public can come and browse, but we are trade-only showrooms. So that means that you cannot purchase uh, th- through the showrooms directly. You have to go through an interior designer. And we'll go into the process of hiring an interior designer in a little bit. Um, we're about 800,000 square feet, over three different floors. We ha- are a mixed-use building, so we do have um, a great mix of showroom tenants, high-end showroom tenants, and also Class A office space. Um, and that's kind of divided in, in different uh, ways throughout the buildings. And then we are also venue space. Our atriums are uh, event space for gala, gala dinners, award dinners. Uh, we do weddings here. So it's just a really beautiful building to come um, and have a coffee or have lunch, you know, at our restaurant or at our coffee bar. Um, and it's just a beautiful space to come and, and hang out and be inspired. Yeah, and um, you were telling me that we've got a, you've got a new hotel that's opening pretty soon called La, La Meridian, right? Yes. See, you were talking about the Bentley crowd. I'm like, I'm from small town western Kentucky. Like, me walking in here is like Forrest Gump walking in the, to the design center. I was seeing all this furniture and stuff, and you were telling me how expensive it was. Like, a tub was like... $30,000. I'm like, I'm not paying $30,000 for a tub, but people do it all the time, apparently. <laughs> so so uh, tell me a little bit about this new hotel and how it's going to uh, fit in with uh, the Dakota. Well, I'm not in the hotel team, but what I can tell you is we're super excited about having it uh, be a part of our campus. It was the former Sheraton Hotel, which was remodeled, and, and you know we uh, rebranded it to be Le Meridian. Um, and you can get in touch with our Le Meridian team at lemeridian.com. Um, we will be opening the the hotel in December, early December, I want to say like the 16th, uh, is going to be our soft opening and with our grand opening um, being announced later on uh, in 2020, in, in early 2020. But it's going to be an amazing hotel. Uh, it's the only full-service hotel from Fort Lauderdale to Miami. We've got about 230 keys, uh, you know, so it's going to be a good-sized hotel mm-hmm. with a signature restaurant called Toro. If you've been to Toro Toro in um, 
in Miami. It's the same restaurant group at the Intercontinental. Oh, I have, and uh, let me tell you, Toro Toro is fantastic. It was in my uh, my office building, so it's really really good. Yeah, it's a Latin fusion uh, restaurant. We're gonna have you know a tequila library. We're gonna have a couple of outdoor eating spaces as well. Tons of meeting space. Tons of ballroom space. Um, super close to the airport. I think we're like five. 10 minutes to the airport. We're going to be less than two miles away from the Brightline station. Um, you know, if you're coming up from Miami or if you're coming down from uh, West Palm Beach or if you're landing from anywhere outside of the Miami area, you can literally land, come check into your room, come to the Dakota and look at all your furnishings for your home, go back to the hotel, have an awesome dinner, and then be on your way home, you know, the next day. So it's going to be a very easy transition into a seamless experience for whether it's um, a realtor working with a client that's out of town or an interior designer that's working with a client that's out of town or the client and the designer out of town um, or even if you're driving down locally so you know versus having to rush through the day driving down from West Palm Beach you can check in at the room or you can come and have dinner and then leave after traffic so it's just going to be another addition to the campus to make it seamless and more comfortable for the clients coming in. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, it was it was super nice, and I think it's a um, you know a nice additional amenity to your your clientele because that way, if you've got the designers coming in and the they can do their events and the showrooms right here, and it's just a a nice uh, accent to the project. So, in your role of director of design services, what do you uh, really do with uh, with Dakota? Because it's um, it sounds like it's got a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of different hats. I want to, it's like, I think I'm up to like eight different hats. <laughs> but the two main ones are um, because we are an open to the public building, but we have only trade showrooms, it creates a bit of a gap on who can purchase. Mm -hmm. And we want to include everyone to make a purchase. The Bentley people. Though. The Bentley people. <laughs> But sometimes, you know, design is also aspirational. Mm -hmm. So the client that maybe can't do $100,000 can still do $5,000, $2,000, maybe the rug that's, you know, $7,000. $7,000 for a rug? Well, we're talking about wow. a, a hand-loomed rug, you know, with wool and silk. These are natural materials. It's an investment. It's an heirloom piece. So it's not going to be something that, you know, you're going to buy and throw away. These are items. I would items. Think not. <laughs> Although it does happen, um, you know, it's one of those things where you have to really understand that it's not a price thing. It's a value thing. And when you value, you know, the value of the cost out, you know, exceeds what you're getting out of it. It's it makes sense. You know, it's it's the reason why people buy luxury cars. It's the people why. Uh, you know, people upgrade to, you know, first class on the way to Dubai because it's it's an experience. It's it's something that you can't really put your finger on. It's the je ne sais quoi about having something that's so beautiful and luxurious. Is that like that $30,000 bathtub we were talking about? Oh, yeah. So that's carved out of one giant piece of marble in Italy. You know, it's a in order for the marble to be carvable, it has to be a certain grade because marble with the veining becomes very susceptible to cracking. Mm -hmm. So it has to be a very high-end, very beautiful, high-quality piece of marble to be able to be carved into a tub. Then it's got to be crated, and then it's got to be shipped. And depending on where you live, if you live in, a, in an apartment, you know, in a, in a multifamily, multi-story building, it's got to be craned up. 
<laughs> at some point, and then it's got to be installed. So it's definitely a process, and we can go into the steps of the process of, mm. um, you know, hiring interior designer or how a project unfolds. But um, back to, to the Dakota, my functions here are closing the gap in between the end consumer who wants to purchase something at a trade cost. Um, I wrote and implemented, uh, when I started here in 2018, um, the Design Consulting and Buying's Buying Program. So it's a program where the client buys themselves into a program for a calendar year. Mm-hmm. It's a calendar year because sometimes a process, let's say for a custom rug that has five or six different colors. We have to go through a strike-off process, which is basically a sample of your actual rug with all of the colors, making sure that the design and the colors are correct, Mm -hmm. um, any adjustments, and that can take several weeks. So in order for it to be worthwhile for the client, because they do have to put a deposit that they get back on their purchase, we do have a considerable amount of time to be able to work around those things. And they can access all of the showrooms with that buy-in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be the trade pricing plus a uh, an admin fee of 20%. Um, but if anyone has any more questions or they're, like, they're interested in being able to purchase from the design center, please contact me directly at uh, my email, which is A-N-E-L at D-C-O-T-A dot com. And I'd be happy to get in touch with you and answer any questions that you may have either about buying from the showrooms um, and being part of the buying program or getting in touch with an interior designer. Yeah, or even just getting a tour of the facility just to see what options you guys have. Absolutely. um, Because talk about some of the, the vendors that you have here. Yes. Oh, and then one thing that I didn't want to forget to mention is the Preferred Designers Program. Um, So if you're looking to get uh, connected with an interior designer, let's say you do have a project um, that's, you know, larger, it's a renovation, or you're building from scratch, um, I have interviewed and hand-selected six wonderful you know, super high-end interior designers that are completely qualified. They're all award-winning interior designers to be part of our preferred designers program. And I can give you more information about that um, and how people can get in touch with me for that as well through my email. Yeah, yeah well, I, I'll just kind of elaborate on that because to me, um, as a busy lawyer and someone who, I'm not going to spend the $30,000 on the tub, <laughs> but um, the thing about coming to South Florida is that you've got a lot of people that they're not really from here. They mm-hmm. grew up. Um, in other parts of the country or from other countries. And so you want to make sure that you have a vendor that you can kind of uh, know that's reliable. And, you know, a lot of people get recommendations through word of mouth. So if they're working with you on this um, uh, interior designer referral program, to me that's just uh, an important layer of just being vetted uh, and paired with a good uh, interior designer because a lot of these people, they're busy. They they just want to get it done. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the time to go and do all these Google searches and reviews and things like that. So to me, that would be a tremendous asset that you can offer. Absolutely. And that's exactly why I wrote it. <laughs> and it was, you know, streamlining the process. You're you're absolutely right. We're working with uh, busy professionals, um, working moms. A lot of my clientele are professional athletes. They might be anywhere around the world and I'm dealing directly with their team. So it's one of those things where interior designers save you time and they save you money. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a lot up front, but it's just like hiring a lawyer. We're, we're people who have the education and the experience to help you save time and money, do it right the first time, do it correctly. I mean, I can't, I mean, I have numerous stories in 15 years that I've been doing it. I haven't seen everything, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> and it's one of those things where 
the interior designer is usually the last person to get hired, and we should be hired right with the architect, right with your GC, so that we can all work together and say, hey, if your design requires this kind of voltage for your smart home, then your plan, you know, your, your interior designer can specify that. Your architect can allocate that in the walls before you have to build it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be doing double work. If your GC is already done pouring concrete, on the fact that wiring had to be laid down before that concrete was poured, you're going to have to break the concrete now. Yeah. So it just, you know, it it's a team effort. It's definitely a collaborative um, type of process, especially if you're building new. Um, and if you're remodeling also, if you're going to remodel and, and gut a house um, down to the studs, having a GC, an architect, your engineer, and your interior designer work together for the new plans of the house will uh, allocate time also, you know, your timeline. And and working with uh, permitting down here, <laughs> I don't know if you've done any permitting That's in the Miami. That's a very good point. <laughs> in Miami, it's one of those things where, I mean, I just waited, you know, six months for a permit in Edgewater you know, earlier this year. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where time and money are the biggest assets we have right now, you know, after health, but we'll, that's a whole other conversation. Time and money are the biggest assets right now. And so if we can help you um, plan ahead of time and save you time and money in the building process and in the design process, that's exactly what we're here for uh, for you as your hired interior designer is to help you avoid those big pitfalls that happen when you're building or remodeling. You know, the other thing, the interior designer aspect, I think would be helpful for a lot of guys because at the end of the day, like if they're having to plan a house with their wife and they really think, you know what, her design taste is really not that good, but they don't have a gall to tell her that. <laughs> by suggesting the interior design... I don't either. <laughs> by, by having the, the fortitude to work with an interior designer, mm-hmm. they push that risk over to the interior designer, and that way they don't have to deal with it. And most guys are going to be like, ah, oh, as long as it looks all right, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and, I get in, a lot of that. But in all seriousness, though... Um, you, know, you were talking about having the interior designer in at the very beginning, and you were saying working with the architect. Talk about a little bit how architects and interior designers work together, because in a way, I kind of thought architects, I mean, I, I know they're different than interior designers mm-hmm. because they're doing the de, um, design for the exterior of the building and stuff, but a lot of times they get into interior as well. And I was like, you know, how much different is what an architect does as far as what the interior designer does, or is there a lot of similarity? I want to, I'm going to tread carefully for all my architects listening. We don't want to see the architects. (laughs) We know there are big differences in exterior design and things like that. But I was just thinking about Mm -hmm. the example of um, in our project in Vieira, we have some very, uh, we call them custom builders. Mm -hmm. And they'll they'll design the homes, which are the $2 million homes. And they'll have all these design teams come in and stuff. But I always hear them talk about the architect and not with the interior designer. And I'm like, well, are they leaving out an important part of the puzzle here? Yes. <laughs> I'll go out and say yes. So, you know, back to, to what I was saying is the designers are usually left, the interior design, the comfort of the space, the the vibe of the space, what the end user living in that home is actually going to sit on and touch is usually planned out at the end. Mm-hmm. However, we're coming into an age where smart homes are the thing. You want to be able to control 
the comfort, so your lighting, your shades, your um, the temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to, you know, the the security of your home. You want to be able to control all of that from a phone, or from mm-hmm. an app, mm-hmm. or from a tablet. In order to integrate all that, um, you need to have uh, all of the the groundwork, which is really all the electrical. Uh, really put in at the beginning. So if you're going in that direction, it's one of those things where even most builders that are building new are wiring the homes already to have some sort of a smart component to it so that it's uh, easier to integrate later and they're not, you know, people aren't like breaking holes into into the walls of a brand new home. Mm -hmm. So they're getting on on that edge of that, which is fantastic because it makes our job a lot easier. But to answer your question about the architect, um, essentially, they are two different functions, two completely different functions. So the architect is, I would say that it's more structural. It's more of a structural component, um, unless they have a firm that specializes in a design build mm. um, and that they provide interior design services. An architect who's just an architect is going to provide structural elements to a, to a home or to a building. And then the interior, I always think of interiors as anything that's from the studs in. Okay. And so that also includes your flooring. And to the concrete of the ceiling. And your kitchen layout and your covering in the kitchen, lighting, all that. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you have specific needs in your home, um, let's say you're a baker. You like to bake cookies with your kids. And you like to really cook and entertain. The way that I would lay out that kitchen is completely different than someone who just wants it to look pretty. They, you know, they have a chef come in or they, you know, order in a lot or they go out to eat a lot. Completely different layout, completely different function of that kitchen versus someone who has, you know, 15 to 20 people in their home regularly with their family and their guests. Mm-hmm. So you, you need a lot more storage. You need a lot more um, equipment, refrigeration, mm-hmm. double ovens that work faster. There's a lot of considerations to a kitchen. You get that food out faster for those people. Well, yeah, and and also you want to cook it consistently. There's, you know, um, I like to cook and bake, so it's like the cor- the way that you're gonna course your meal. So there's a lot of things to think about if you're really like a cook and a baker, or just a cook, um, or an aspiring one. <laughs> So, so what trends are you seeing right now in interior design um, in South Florida? Because, um, I mean, when I moved down from Kentucky, it was it was quite eye opening. Just the um, it was always that modern style that uh, seemed to be starting to get more popular, like in the mid two thousands and stuff. That mm-hmm. clean look. Um, but yeah, you've got other areas of the country, like in you know Kentucky or Nashville or something. You've got completely different designs there. But I just wanted your input on some some trends that you're seeing. Absolutely. Um, It kind of depends on where you're at. If you're in Palm Beach, I'm seeing a lot of um, two different things. So I'm seeing a lot of vibrant color and a lot of pattern Mm -hmm. versus traditional Palm Beach, which is um, very beachy, but with like a traditional feel to it. Um, A lot of jewel tones, so a lot of greens and fuchsia, uh, a lot of blue. Blue is very in this season, different shades of blue. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Different shades of blue this season. Um, I'm actually doing a webinar in a couple of weeks for the Pantone Color Institute um, where we're going to learn about the color of the year for next year. So I'm very excited about that. Um, But this year I just saw a a lot of really bold colors, so more like in the turquoise, burgundy, Accents of gold, gold hardware, gold um, uh, accents in silverware plates, 
the handles, all of the, you know, hardware, um, a lot of historical pattern reference. We're going to see a lot of different um, textures, whether it's a glass tile or a textured or a glazed tile. So there's a lot of different things that are happening. And depending on the area that you're in, one thing might be more popular than the other. Like in Miami, I'm still seeing very white, very high gloss, um, you know, white floor to ceiling. <laughs> then, you know, you have the, the white gold, you know, the gold accent. Um, I'm seeing another trend is no upper cabinets. So a lot of drawers on the bottom and um, open shelving on the top or no open, uh, no cabinets at all. Okay. That so, is interesting. Yeah. Because I remember, um, you know, we did a lot of stuff with Related Group and they would do like the icon brickle and things mm-hmm. like that and they would have that upper cabinet but one thing I always thought is I mean I'm not really tall I'm like 5'11 but I was like I would have to get on a chair to get all the way up there and I was like most women are not that tall so maybe that design is coming into play for that it's like you know what we don't want our people climbing up there <laughs> as much but on the other hand I kind of liked the design with the, everything shut because you're not seeing the plates and all that but I guess you know, people have different tastes. And, and exactly. And that also goes into when you plan any space, whether it's a whole home or just a single kitchen space or a bedroom, it's all about the client. It's about how they live, how they live in their space, personality. Um, hiring an interior designer is a really big task. And it's a very thorough thing that you should do because it's a personality thing. You know, before you think you go through their website and you think about their style, their style is really your style. Because mm-hmm. a great interior designer, what they're going to do is they're going to translate whatever's in your mind, your vision for your home, and we're going to translate that into reality. So it doesn't matter what's on my website. It's what's in your head that I want to get to so that I can materialize that for you. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great interior designer is going to really get in your head, really get to know you personality-wise, how you live in your home, what, what works, what doesn't work what um, maybe you haven't had that you'd like to create inside your home. Um, And then we plan around that. So, you know, uh, functions in your home. So let's say you like to entertain. We want to make sure that we address those things as we're going through the space planning of your home. Um, You know, back to the kitchen. If you are a couple that don't cook or maybe you're a single person, then you're like, I'm never home. (laughs) This could be storage for all I care. (laughs) And I get that a lot. Buy the house in the first. Let me tell you, I get that a lot. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's like the the episode of Sex in the City where, you know, Carrie's like, I store, you know, sweaters in my oven. I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of those things where, you know, it it depends on how people live in their homes. Um, Some people just want more storage, and we'll make the kitchen smaller, you know, because you want to take a bedroom and turn it into a closet Mm -hmm. because you shop more than you cook. Bedroom and as a whole bedroom's a closet. Oh, absolutely, we do that all the time. Wow, I've never heard of that. I've heard of people having, you know, big walk-in closets, but I never heard of a whole bedroom. Well. You know, in a footprint of a house, yeah. you have so many square feet because it's already the footprint. Well, probably a Kardashian. So. They, they probably have something like that. Well, they that. probably built from the ground up. So, 
<laughs> so, you know, we allocate whatever amount of physical space we can, whether it's knocking down a wall to an existing, you know, guest bedroom, or maybe it's a nook that's not being used mm-hmm. and allocating that into the bedroom space, or maybe making the ba- the bathroom bigger if they, they want that $30,000 tub <laughs> to have its own room. It just depends on the client and it depends, it definitely depends on the budget, but it right. also depends on how they live and how they want to live in their home. Right. Well, you brought up budgets with um, an interior designer, I guess. Um, like if someone's wanting to work with an interior designer, it's one of those things where it's kind of like hiring a lawyer. You know, people think, okay, well, like when I was at the, the Shudson Bowen firm as a partner there, it was basically like if, if one of my friends wanted to buy a house and it was under $600,000, I, I couldn't do the deal. It mm-hmm. just made no financial sense for me to do the deal. And I was, it always kind of bothered me because I was like, you know, $600,000 is a it's really a lot of money yeah. for someone to buy a house. And that means that person has a good job, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I'm not the lawyer for you. We we had to represent a lot of the Bentleys and corporate companies and stuff like that. So if someone's going to work with an interior designer, like, what's their expectation of, like, um, their minimum budget that they should have and how do interior designers uh, bill and things like that? Because if someone's wanting to bring an interior designer to help design a living room and do like $2,500 worth of furniture. Is that just kind of a waste of time? Do they need to watch HGTV kind of a thing? Or just so they can kind of have a proper expectation? That's a loaded question. (laughs) We're not going to offend anybody, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, I could be somebody like that. I'd be like, if I was going to redo a bathroom, and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I wouldn't be that picky. As long as it's clean, the toilet works, it's... Uh, generally serviceable, I'm going to be okay. But like if someone wants that you know, very fancy stuff, a lot of people have champagne taste and beer budgets. Mm-hmm. And so then they're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to work with this. And the worst thing is to find out that you're doing all this work for somebody. They th- claim that they have the money and stuff. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is way too expensive. I just don't have the time for that. So I was – like people in my audience would be like, okay, if they want to work with an interior designer, what kind of expectations should they have okay. before even reaching out to somebody? Well, yeah, I mean, there's different levels of design, just like there's different levels of cars. You know, and I'll, and I'll use cars as an analogy as a car girl myself, and I think everyone can kind of understand a car. Everyone has a budget, and whether it's a Honda Civic or a BMW or a Bentley, mm-hmm. everyone has a budget, and so you need to know what you can afford. And you need to know, be realistic about what you can afford because whatever that is, you're going to have to add at least a good 50% to that. 50%? Well, as, an, as a contingency. Yeah. Once you, and, and, and it also depends on what you're doing. If you're renovating mm-hmm. an older home, you're not going to know what you really need until you start breaking walls and until you start looking at plumbing. Mm-hmm. So you, you're always going to need to have a contingency. And I, would, I like to do, I mean, maybe 50% is lofty, but... Um, well, maybe like a good 25% of your budget in a contingency. Maybe we should say 50% because, I mean, I'd rather over-budget than under-budget. Absolutely. I mean, you can never over-budget. <laughs> you can never over-budget. Under-budget is usually something that um, we run into a lot, and then that's when you get delays and, you know, big bumps in the road of a project, of the timeline of a project. You know, the, the deliverability of a project really depends on how available the funds of what you say the budget are. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're planning on hiring an interior designer, that's definitely a conversation that you need to have with them. And you know, how do you bill? You know, I know designers who bill on a flat fee, and I know designers who build on a retainer plus a percentage on on the cost price. Um, but it really depends on the scope of the project. The scope is what we're going to be doing in that project, yeah. and so you have to be very clear on what it is that you want. And sometimes you're not clear, and we'll help you figure it out. But once that scope of the project is pretty crystal clear and pretty concrete. They will come up with a pricing structure that works for the project, that works for them, that works for the client. Mm. And I really can't speak for everyone. I mean, me personally as an interior designer, it just kind of depends on the scope. I mean, I've done 500 um, square foot uh, studios, like I've done 10 to 15,000 square foot homes. Mm. And each project is unique and the client is unique. So in the 1,000 square foot, you know, one bedroom apartment, that client might want to spend two, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars because wow, they really, yeah, because they want the best. Even though it's a, a loft or a one bedroom apartment or, or a studio, this is a high end person and they want high end materials. Mm-hmm. And you can get that. Just like, um, I mean, I would suspect that if you're living in a fifteen thousand square foot house, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna lowball the interior either. So it, it you don't really go to depends. Walmart to shop. Well, I didn't want to say that. Well, there's nothing I, I wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Walmart. But <laughs> there's it, nothing wrong with that. At the end but of the day. But you do get what you pay for. Yeah. So I will say that. And so it's one of those things where I do believe, you know, I, when I was in college, I worked for IKEA. And it was a wonderful thing. I loved my experience at IKEA. Well, one, it was the best birth control I could ever have with the, <laughs> with the screaming child in the background. And, and if that's your child in the background screaming, no offense to you. But with the screaming child in the background for 24 hours a day, it, it, was, it was wonderful. However, I got to learn how things are made. I got to learn the difference in between um, different materials, lacquer, uh, upholstery, um, logistics. I mean, I got a really great experience on that world at that level of design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had the most incredible job, which was actually I was the, the design consultant for the whole store. So that function is one per store. Mm-hmm. And so I would deal with the large um, orders that were brought in through corporate accounts. So I would work with Orlando Magic. I was working in Orlando at the time. Um, Orlando Magic or Chick-fil-A or, you know, Make-A-Wish Foundation and whatever projects they had going. Um, and there's also um, a division called Work IKEA. So any retail, any type of business that needed help. Uh, configuring their space and so I learned how to work with a set range of product Mm -hmm. which really pushes your creativity and your imagination when it's like okay it's I mean it's a 9500 skew uh, range you know so it's not a small range but it still pushes your creativity and the budget too because you know if you're a a small business owner and you have a thousand square feet for a nail salon I had to come and tell you that it was going to cost you, you know, $5,000. And that's that's a big chunk of your budget for your opening, you know, budget for a small business. So I had to be very creative with their budget, with their space, with the function, the appropriateness of whatever I was suggesting for them. And that was a great building block for me to transition over to my next step, which actually was a commercial interior design firm. Mm-hmm. And so from going from one extreme to another, <laughs> I got to learn, you know, high-end materials. And, and and that was actually an architectural firm. So I got to learn a completely different world. But that was an architectural firm that they had the interior design component 
Yes. So this was um, a very large uh, interior design firm based out of Chicago. They had a satellite office in Orlando. And... um, they had architecture and interior design, and we had an engineering partner on a different floor. Okay. I guess that's what I was used to in Miami, because I know, um, like when we did law firm renovations and suites and stuff like that, I, I know we were working with, um, I guess it was an art, I think it was an architect, but it was also interior design, because literally they went in and they just like stripped out that that uh, tenant space and put in like all modern stuff and reconstructed like the stairwell and I mean it was just a complete uh, new furniture and all that stuff so I think it was one of those where they offered both services just because of the convenience. Yeah and sometimes um, I mean it makes sense to have your architect and interior design from the same uh, the same firm it means that they have a same way of thinking you know your um, the design aesthetic from the architecture of the actual building to the interiors will carry over. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, it's it's definitely something that I would recommend, that I will always recommend, and, and I highly, highly, highly recommend to include your interior designer, your architect, um, your GC if you can. Um, if they're all under one roof, even better, because that means that they are definitely communicating um, the vision that you have as a client throughout all those different areas to make sure that what you, the end product of your home is what you actually get. Yeah, I guess you really need to think of it as um, everyone's part of a team. And mm-hmm. so if you're bringing in, if you want everyone to have uh, be on the same page and on the game plan from the beginning, it's better to be in there from the start and not bringing in somebody in in the fourth quarter when you're already down by 20 points. Absolutely. I don't know what that means, but I'll take it. Uh, well, a lot of sports <laughs> references. It, it means you're in trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, so um, with the Design Center of Americas, um, talk about some of the clientele that you have here and um, as far as your um, designers mm-hmm. and some of the clientele that uh, you work with. So as far as our... Um, showrooms that we have here. We have um, an incredible mix between um, fabric houses and furniture. So we have, you know, of course, Baker Century. We have uh, Janice at Sea. We have, uh, as far as fabric houses, Romo. We have Pierre Frey, Holland and Sherry. The complete listing is going to be on our website, www.dakota.com. That's www.dcota.com. Um, and you can check out our entire uh, listing. I mean, we've got like over 50 different showrooms between fabric and outdoor furniture and accessories and um, interior furniture and all sorts of, you know, custom things. Um, It's definitely a lot, you know. I know we have um, showrooms that opened recently are Bell Tempo, which is a specialty outdoor, Um, Sutherland and Perennials, which is one of my favorites, Dadon, one of my favorites. I mean, they're all my favorites. (laughs) It it really depends on the client, Um, you know, and, and... Again, the, the possibilities are endless. Really, the options are infinite, which is why an interior designer is so crucial to your process to be able to narrow it down for you and save you time and money. Um, one thing, I mean, you've been in the interior design business for many years. Talk about, like, the requirements to become an interior designer from, like, you know, when you finish high school. or I guess some of these high schools now, they may even have, like, magnet programs and things like that. But what are the steps that someone goes from from being that teenager in high school to becoming an interior designer? Is it that they need to look to specialty schools? Is this something you can get by going to University of Florida or Miami, Florida State, FIU, um, colleges, things like that? Because, I mean, I... 
I, I didn't really know all the, the requirements, and I thought it was kind of a specialty thing, but that may not always be the case. Yeah, it kind of depends on the route that you go. Um, when I was in school, a lot of my classmates were architects who were taking on a second um, career or an architect from a different country that they didn't want to go through architecture school again, so they were doing an interior design degree program. Um, it really depends on where you are in life, your passions, if you want to specialize. Um, there are degrees and certifications and even licenses that are specific for um, kitchen and bath design uh, by the NKBA, which is the National Kitchen and Bath Association. So it's one of those things where it really depends on what you want to do. But in general, to answer your question, um, there are many different programs here in South Florida that you can take advantage of. Um, I actually went to school in Central Florida because I'm from Orlando. And so I went to, at that time, it was called Seminole Community College, but now it's Seminole State Community College. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, a four-year program, which is nationally accredited so that you can go on and get a master's. And if you wanted to transfer into an architecture program, you could. Mm -hmm. um, the important thing about, uh, probably the most important thing about whatever program you do, whether it's a two-year, four-year, six-year uh, master's, is that it's nationally accredited. Um, I believe it's called either FIDER or CIDER. It's, uh, the acronym is, it, it leaves me right now, but it's a national accreditation um, that is very, very important, specifically if you want to get into hospitality or commercial design, um, so that you're able to get um, NCIDQ certified. So the NCIDQ qualification is the National Council for Interior Design Qualification. And um, it's basically like taking your your boards, you know, or passing the bar if you want to be a, a lawyer. So it's definitely like the highest level of achievement for an interior designer. And um, that at that point, you're designing for um, hospitality, restaurants, um, hotels, or any type of commercial space. But is that like on a national level, or do you have to get a state license for, for interior designer? It, it, you don't have to. So if you, in the state of Florida, mm -hmm. if you want to design for commercial spaces mm -hmm. other than a residential space, you do have to be... Okay. Um, a Florida-licensed NCIDQ designer. If you're looking to practice in residential, then it is not a requirement of the state of Florida. And I believe there are several other states um, that you also have to be licensed in, and there are several states that you don't have to be licensed in to do commercial work. So it kind of just, you know, you'd have to check on where you live or where you want to practice mm. um, to see what the requirements are. Right. But the bottom line, I mean, you're talking about six years. I guess that included a master's. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's not one of these things where people think, well, hey, you know, I'm I'm really good at decorating. I can just be an interior designer. I mean, it's it's a lot of hard work and study. And um, like you said, you it, it goes hand in hand with the architects. You have to understand a lot of like building systems and designs yeah. and, and stuff. So it's it's a very complicated field. I would say, yeah, it's a very technical field. I mean, actually, that's what I fell in love with. When I when I went, I actually kind of fell into interior design by, I wouldn't say mistake, but it was just kind of like serendipity of, you know, God in the universe. It, was, it wasn't my plan. <laughs> um, I was actually in the Navy, and I got hurt, and I had to get out, and... You know, I was in a cast for a year with a knee injury, and, and my cousin was like, okay, you need to snap out of it. Like, you're amazing at interior design. You've been, you know, moving furniture around since you were a kid. Like, go to design school. And, like, a light bulb lit up, and I went to school, and in my first class was 
um, studio, which is, you know, putting together the fabrics and, and learning that. And then my next class was um, hand drafting. So learning how to draw a technical floor plan by hand, which now, you know, everybody uses CAD now. But when I was in school, CAD was like an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was like an elective. You didn't even have to learn it. And so when I started doing hand drafting is when I really fell in love with this profession. Um, the detail, the amount of detail it takes to plan a building, to to execute it. You know, every line that you draw out becomes a wall. It becomes something. And when I realized that, it, I don't know, I just there was something that clicked inside of me, and I just fell in love with it. And so, yeah, absolutely, it's a, it's a very um, education-driven field. You will be a constant student, especially if you're NCIDQ certified. You're going to have to um, do what we call a continuing education credit. So, if you're in a profession like medicine, or um, I don't know if they do that in yeah, in, they make the okay. lawyers stay on top of things. <laughs> We have to take CLE stuff, too. Exactly. So it's just, you know, constantly staying uh, on top of what's new, any law changes. So, you know, we deal with codes. Codes are laws. So any code in the local area where you practice that, you know, dictates how high the plug can be and how far away from each other they can be Mm -hmm. and the kind of carpet that you have to have and, you know, the kind of paint that you can specify. And, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, you know, um, especially in a commercial interior. Um, as interior designers, we vow to protect the uh, welfare, health, and well-being of the public. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big task. That's a big oath. <laughs> it is. I mean, you just think about you know, lighting stuff changes, and we try to go, I guess, more um, you know, environmentally friendly on things like that. Um, you, know, you know, I talked a little bit. Uh, I know you don't focus on it, but uh, more, um, more people are having to be conscious of designing things if they have special needs children, mm-hmm. like autistic children things like that and um, so it's just becoming more and more specialized are you seeing um, the trend for this um, this career to only increase because it seems like it would be that's the that's the perception I get based on the popular of HGTV and you see all these people going in and doing homes and stuff like that it would seem like it'd be a, a growing field Absolutely. Um, actually, at the center, we do student tours. And oh. yeah, and one of the things that, that I have focused on in my role here really is um, I just have a heart for the students. Because when I was in school, we didn't, you know, the Design Center of the Americas was four hours away. It wasn't in my backyard. It, I didn't grow up, uh, you know, throughout college coming here and being having this building accessible to me. Mm-hmm. So being to you know able to work here was just, you know it's a dream, and and so that's why you're on the show living the dream, right? <laughs> it is a dream, dream come true. Um, and so the students for me is they're my heart. You know, they're the future of this uh, industry, and we have to be able to focus on showing them the incredible resource that this building is and what it can become for them um, as they develop in their in their career. So being able to use the, the showrooms, being able to use the space, um, different programs that we can collaborate on, um, that's really has has been an aspect of one of the many hats that I've been wearing here uh, in my tenure at the Dakota. Do you see um, maybe in the future the Design Center of the Americas incorporates like an education component um, that would be a dream. <laughs> that would be another part of the dream. Um, I don't know how feasible that is at, at the present moment. Um, it's something that I will always uh, try to strive towards. Um, but I, I, I would love to, but I don't know how, how feasible that is at the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. 
So, all right, so we have talked a lot about <laughs> interior design and Design Center of America's. Um, what are the trends that you're kind of seeing? We're getting ready to close the decade of 2019. We're going to start 2020. What are the trends that you think you're going to uh, start seeing in the next few years with interior design? Well, um, as far as the industry itself, you know, we're seeing a lot of um, brick-and-mortar showrooms go into digital, you know, go into an online platform, which is great and not great. You kind of lose yeah. the human connection with the design. Absolutely. I would think you'd want to have, I mean, I'm a very visual person, so, you know, I would see things um, on the computer. That's fine and good, but I, as you know, I like to talk. <laughs> so it's like I would want to be able to have that conversation and not just do it through email. And I would think if you're not able to have that human connection, it makes it more challenging for both the client and the interior designer. I can't tell you how much time it would save someone to be able to walk into a showroom and say, hey, you know, to one of the specialists, I'm looking for this. Can you help me? Um, Versus searching for hours endlessly online through pictures. Then, you know, you forget to check one of the dimensions to make sure that it works on your floor plan. And then you order it and it gets here and it's the wrong size. Now you got to order it all over again. Not only that, but you have to explain to the client that you ordered the wrong thing. So it would save... Um, where I was getting at with with the digital platform is that as a company, it might make sense to you, but it's a huge disservice to the interior design community um, to not have as many showrooms anymore because mm-hmm. we are a tactile, physical profession. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to sit in it. I want to be able to touch it. Um, a lot of my... my um, former clientele are athletes. They're bigger people. <laughs> bigger, heavier people means we have to sit in it. We have to uh, modify the frame of an upholstery piece. We have to modify the frame of a, of a uh, chair, of a table. We have to raise it. A vanity, we have to raise it. Um, it changes everything in order for it to be ergonomically sound for that person to live and function in a comfortable environment in their home. You know, and that just brings up a good point. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big sports fan, so... Uh, of course, with basketball, you know, you got these guys, I mean, they're 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but you've got a lot of guys that are 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet tall. Yeah. That comes into your design of doors. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it, it makes it more of a challenge for them. They can't just go and just buy any house because they have to be able to fit through the door. And it's not because they're necessarily heavy. It's just because they're tall or the bathtub design, all that stuff. So I guess with athletes, you know, they kind of have a, a, a need to work with an interior designer for sure because they have so many special things that need to be taken into consideration. And, you know, if they're buying a brand new condo, they can't just take the run of the mill design. Absolutely. And it's in, and back to your question that you asked me earlier as far as specialty, um, everything from, so athletes are kind of like a specialty. Um, Children, you know, I actually, when I was in Orlando, used to volunteer for children, uh, a children's charity called New Hope for Kids, which is a center dedicated for grieving children who have lost a parent, who have lost a sibling, a friend, or anyone in their life, and they're going through that grief. And so it's a grief center. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I remember one of my favorite projects was redoing... um, I think they were called the hurricane room. It was where you you went to go be angry, and it was padded walls. And you were allowed to be angry in that room. Maybe you need that for a timeout <laughs> for a spouse or something. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a new trend. We, we see. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, That'd be pretty funny, though. You think about it. Some Somebody comes to you as a clientele. Yep, I need one of these padded rooms. <laughs> really? Why? Well, I got to tell you, my wife, she can be a real psycho, or my husband can be a real psycho. 
That would be funny. You never know. Um, You're like, what am I getting myself into? You know what? That retainer that was 20%, that's actually going to be 50 now. We're going to have to increase this budget now. Um, 25% (laughs) non-refundable. Part of also being an interior designer is like half of it is like a marriage counselor. (laughs) Or a counselor in general because, you know, you get to know a client very intimately. You know, you get to know their life. And, and like you said, you know, the, the dynamic between a husband and a wife, you kind of have to navigate through that to get her to like it and for him to approve it. Have you ever had a clientele where you're just like, man, I feel sorry for that pe- that person? I haven't. You know, it's funny. I've had the pleasure of <laughs> having some really great clients throughout my career. For the most part, I mean, I remember I had a really bad delivery one time, and that client made me, like, they made me cry. I mean, it was, like, a really bad delivery. And and so I, I try to, like, really gauge my clients, and I've had to fire a lot of clients. I'm like, you know what? This is probably not going to be a good fit for both, for either of us. <laughs> and so I've had to walk away from projects before. And, and the amazing thing about this profession is that, you know, you get to be in a position where you can choose your clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully you're a good, really great interior designer, and you yeah, can do that. Yeah, the option. <laughs> or you have the option. In the door. Right. I mean, when you start, you kind of take everything. And then as you hone your skills and you hone your people skills and kind of gauging the personality, and, and understanding if this person's going to work for my personality or not or if I'm really going to be able to work with them. You know, you're on a project with a client on the fast end for six months and on the really long end, if it's like a their their main home, it's not a vacation home, it's their, their main residence, could be two, three years. Really? So it has to be a really great relationship. And sometimes it's not a great relationship in the beginning. And once they start to trust you, like, oh, wow, she really knows what they're talking about, or he really knows what they're talking about, they kind of, like, relinquish that trust. I mean, I have clients where we're on our fifth project already because they've been with me, for, you know, since the, since the beginning. And was it just for different properties, or it's um, they're just redoing different rooms in the home? Um, some are different properties. Some are now their kids have gone to college, or now they're a young professional, and it's their apartment. Um, neighbors that they've referred to me, mm-hmm. friends that they've referred to me. So, um, and of course, you know, if they're neighbors and their neighbor has the latest and greatest, they want the latest and greatest too. Right. So. <laughs> well, and you know that that can always be a good source of, of clients too. My grandfather. Um, one of his side things he loved like redoing furniture and things like that and he of course you know this is back in the 80s when he started he didn't have internet and all that and of Mm. course we have internet now and he'd never hop on it but it's things where like he had clientele it would be like he'd work for doctors and dentists and stuff and then their wives would want him to him to do stuff to redo their house well then the neighbor would see it and they want him to redo stuff for their house or people through church and stuff like that so very interesting. So um, I guess going back onto the trends that you're seeing, um, mm, yes. you think for uh, 2020 and beyond. So for 2020 and beyond, I want to say that I'm seeing a lot of like neutral palettes, so a lot of different layered whites with um, neutral woods. So whether it's a woven stool out of, um, you know, rattan is coming back. Um, of course, rattan is only for interiors. Um, I mean, people use it for the exterior, but then it starts warping and then, you know, it gets um, what we call patina or aged. <laughs> But if you like it to be that beautiful honey color, I would highly recommend to leave it inside. So um, natural woods, petrified woods, wood stumps, gold is here to stay. Um, I said it a long time ago. I'm going to keep saying it again. I think it's a beautiful metal, a beautiful neutral. Copper and rose gold accents are also here to stay. I don't know how long they're going to stay, but they're, they're, I'm seeing them a lot in the magazines that, and, and a lot of the trend reports where they're, they're here to stay at least for 2020. 
So um, here in South Florida specifically, so the clean beach vibe, biophilic design, which is bringing the outdoors in. Um, a lot of greenery, a lot of plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, green walls are something that are I think are here to stay, whether they're faux or they're real. Um, either one is a considerable investment, but they're beautiful. They add a lot of texture and a lot of um, warmth to a home versus having to have a wood-cladded wall. You can now have a plant-cladded wall, and it still feels light and airy, but you still have that feeling of nature and that warmth inside. So um, those are a lot of trends that I'm seeing. And then, of course, you know, again, the jewel tones, a lot of pattern play, um, mixing patterns together, layering patterns together. Um it, it kind of depends on the client. And I, and I always say, I don't like to follow trends too much mm-hmm. because the interior really should be about the client right. and their style and what they, you know, what functions in their home and do they have children? Do they have pets? Are they older? You know, are they, are these people going to be aging in place? Um, so, and it kind of just depends on where they're at in life um, how they're looking to live in their space and, you know, is it their main home? Is it their vacation home that they're going to spend one week out of the year in? Or, you know what I mean? So it just really depends on the client and, and what the function of the space is going to be. Are you seeing uh, more guys go toward, like, the man cave thing? Because I, I, <laughs> I have a little man cave thing in that. Um, of course, I grew up in the 80s, so I grew up watching, you know, certain athletes from the 80s and the mm-hmm. video games. So I have, like, an arcade machine in my house. Nice! I have, like, a... Pac-Man, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, all that stuff. So I have an arcade okay. in my house. Cool. And people are like, yep, you're definitely a single guy. <laughs> my wife wouldn't let me have that but unless I put it out in the garage. But it seems like, you know, I, I've seen friends that they have, like, man caves. But women have – I'm seeing a lot of these women caves and stuff. And they have, like, their own little area. And they go in the back. And they've got, like, their little yoga studio. And they've mm-hmm. got um, – you know stuff and they'll watch the the binge on netflix and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah i think um i think everyone is looking for a bit of personal space in their home so whether you call it a man cave or a she shed or your reading nook, yes that's for that commercial (laughs) yes yes she shed or a reading nook or you know a great bathtub whatever space in your house is allocated for your own personal space mm-hmm. um, goes back to the client you know are you a re- do you like to read are you a wine seller person you like to you know are a wine aficionado or a collector of wine are you an artist um, do you need a, a, an artist studio do you need um, are you a car person do you want us to build you a garage you know just for your cars so it really depends on the client what they're looking to do how much space they have budget I'll say it again and I'll mm-hmm. keep saying it again budget 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 because mm-hmm. <laughs> options are infinite and but you know it just depends on what we can do at your budget and also don't be intimidated about the, the budget conversation I think that's that's one of the things that people cringe cringe about the most is but you know the word budget but um we were talking about aspirational design earlier it's you can look at something now and maybe it's unattainable now because you know you're 25 and you don't have a hundred thousand dollars to do an interior but what about doing you know one room at a time Mm -hmm. you know or saying okay well i can't do the ten thousand square you know the ten thousand uh you know silk rug right now but I can do that maybe in five years from now, 10 years from now with a promotion or a different job where I open my own business. So it's one of those things where I, I think design is attainable at every level. Um, it just really depends on where you're at and, and what you're willing to spend on it right now. But you can always 
you know, aspire to have something better or higher end later. Right. Yeah, the, the budget thing is it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I know a lot of people in South Florida where, I mean, they have really good jobs where they're making 200000 a year or 150000 a year, which sounds like a lot of money, but let's say you want to go and buy your own place. Unless you're lucky enough to find your own place where you can put, like, 5% down and stuff like that, which is usually rare unless you're buying a single-family home, you got to put 20% down. Well, if you're buying a, a, a condo, it's probably a minimum 350000 for a one-bedroom if it's in a, a nicer area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you're looking at maybe 400000 500000 so that means you're coming up with $100,000 on top of that. And, I mean, I know some people that they have – they're not – the, making a million a year, but you make a hundred or two hundred thousand, something like that. It takes a while to save up a hundred thousand dollars, and you don't want to just put all your money into buying the house. You got to have money uh, for the furniture, and that's something even like with my new place up in um, Central Florida. I mean, I know I'll be closing in a few months, but I'm sitting here, you know, stocking a lot of money away because it's like not just to buy the the second house. But it's like I gotta dis- I gotta have furniture for that. And I'm gonna bring over some of my furniture, but some of it has I would like to use the term Rodneyized, <laughs> where I'm gonna not be able to use that furniture it's because love to death. <laughs> it has, and I didn't realize he would shed that much. But it's that kind of stuff that you're like, it's expensive enough to buy the house, but you gotta be saving up a lot of money mm-hmm. for your furniture and the design and stuff like that. So no, I mean I would normally say. Minimum minimum budget would be 10% of the cost of the house. Okay. Minimum. Can go up to 25 to 30. Some people do 100%. So it just depends, you know. Well, I tell you what, we have gone on for quite a bit on interior design, and I've got to get to the segment of the show where we have the live in the dream moment where we see if you and El DeCastro are living the dream. Okay. Though I already know the answer to this question because you already said working at the Design Center of America is just living the dream. <laughs> so... First question. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. Um, you may be young enough. You may not even know what Seinfeld is. I do know what Seinfeld is, actually. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, that makes my question a whole lot easier then. So what's your favorite Seinfeld episode? Oh, man. Okay. I didn't know that was coming. Um, well, these are spontaneous questions. Okay. I remember. Wow. I'm better at Friends. All right, you know what? I'm better at a friends. I just had a last guest who was a, a, a fan of Friends too. All right, so what's your favorite Friends episode? My favorite Friends episode is when Ross takes Rachel to the um, the planetarium. Okay, I was going to say, didn't Ross and Rachel going on a date like on most every show anyway? Towards the end, yeah, it felt like that, right? <laughs> I just really wanted them to be to end up together. <laughs> See, I didn't even watch the end of that episode. Did they end up getting married in the final episode? I don't think I don't I don't remember actually. Now I have yeah. to. It's been so many years. I remember watching it and then watching the reruns and then watching it again. It was such a great series, but I haven't you know I haven't watched TV like consistently in like the last like I don't know, six five six years. That's what happens when you get a real career, right? <laughs> and so it's one of those things where. Um, now I'm going to have to go look. I'm going to have to go on my Netflix and, and watch the episode again. All right. <laughs> the bottom line is you prefer Friends over Seinfeld. I think so. I mean, I love Seinfeld. Um, I love his new show with the... the comedians and coffee? Yes, the comedians riding in cars getting coffee. Oh, I, yeah. I'm loving, loving, loving that. So if Seinfeld gets to hear it. I love you. Well, I tell you, speaking of things over in the Dania Beach area and um, 
they just opened up the new, or they redid um, the Hard Rock Hotel. It's oh, yes. called Hard Rock Holly now. Mm-hmm. But they do a really good job of bringing in good acts with music, uh, comedians. I saw Jerry Seinfeld there. He was in the last, actually the last performance before they redid the hotel. Oh, wow. So uh, I love the comedians, so I think they do a good job with that. All right, um, next place, uh, or next question. So what are your favorite uh, hot spots in South Florida? Oh, my God, there's so many. Um, I'm a beach girl, so I actually, I live here in Hollywood, and I moved here for the beach. So it's, you know, two and a half miles of little shops and restaurants and uh, a couple of big-name hotels like Margaritaville. Um, But the beach is just, it's a quiet beach. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful, you know, perfectly white, pearly sand and clear water. Um, Very family-oriented beach. And I could just, you know, bring my beach chair and a book and fall asleep and wake up and all my stuff is still there. <laughs> and it's just it's just like a really nice, quiet beach. Um, so that's one. Um, and then, like, maybe in South Florida, like, Wynwood. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if Anella's a city, it would be Wynwood. You know, artsy, low-key, good food, good music, kind of rowdy at times. But it's just, it's just like a really, really cool hub for, you know, artsy creatives like, you know, like myself. Yeah, we get a lot. Um, a lot of my guests have um, highlighted Wynwood as being a favorite area just because it's one of those areas where it doesn't really matter, like, who you are in Wynwood. It's, I mean, you have areas where there are people walking around where I don't know if they've taken a bath in a week. <laughs> but then you've got also, you've got, um, like, high-end places have opened up, like, Number 3 Social mm-hmm. and um, Astra, this rooftop restaurant. And, and um, a lot of high-end things going in there, a lot of, like, higher-end design. I know they're adding, like, um, some new apartments and hotels. So it's not just the art thing, but it's one of those things, too, where you can just go and do what you want there. Whereas, you know, there are some places in Miami where if you don't look the part, uh, if you don't meet the dress code, they're mm-hmm. like, you can't come in. And I, I appreciate that because <laughs> you have a certain decor that you want to maintain. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, generally people in South Florida are often very laid back. Yeah. And so that's why I think Wynwood's a very popular place for people. Yeah, no, I can't tell you how many, you know, millionaires, billionaires I get to meet in, like, flip-flops. <laughs> well, I was going to say, see, I thought you were going to go differently. I thought you were going to say the flip-flops, um, just the, the low-key people, but that's the thing in South Florida. Yeah, you never know who's who. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it could be someone wearing cut off a cut-off shirt and a pair of shorts, and they get into a Rolls Royce. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so since you're a car uh, fan, what's your... Uh, What's your favorite car? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. So for Art Basel, there is going to be a private event where they're going to be exhibiting a $7 million uh, showcase of Pagani's. A $7 so, million dollar car? Well, I think there's three because they're, they're like 3.4 each. Oh, yeah, okay. so or like two point five each. So it it it's Pagani is like the ultimate supercar, and so I I don't think you can even sit in them when they're on exhibit. They're that exclusive. Well, I, I don't blame them. I mean, <laughs> if something goes wrong, I mean, I want to make sure someone's paying for that car before they sit in it. Absolutely. So wow, that, three and a half million dollar car. That's just amazing. Yeah, I had the the honor and pleasure of going to Aston Martin residences, and so so um, they're by uh, Epic Hotel, right? Yes, one of my friends, uh, he's the executive um, salesperson there, and he, um, you know, gave us a private tour, and there's a $2.4 million 
uh, Aston Martin that comes as a gift when you buy the penthouse at $17 million. So that's interesting. So their whole thing is if you buy is if you buy any condo or is if you buy like the penthouse? The penthouse, yeah. Oh. It has to be specifically. It's a three-story penthouse. Um, and it's, it's definitely one of those things where it, I can't even explain it to you in words. Um, but yeah, my friend John Parciani can give you an entire tour of the property. Um, if you go to, you know, astormartinresidences.com, he can, yeah. can reach him through there. Well, since I probably wouldn't buy that place, he'd probably be <laughs> irritated. He's like, wait a second, this guy came and just wasted my time. But, um, all right, so that's interesting. The cars cost that much. I was like, I mean, I have a Jeep for Rodney, and it's nice and all, but I'm like... <laughs> well, listen, I drive a Jetta, so it's one of those things where um, it, being able to be in this world gives very exclusive access to things that I normally wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's the honor and the privilege of doing what I do. You know, I, I get to have this access through the incredible clients I get to meet and the incredible people, uh, not just my clients, but, you know, my colleagues and, and who are now friends, you know, that I've gotten to meet through this industry and, and working down here um, in these incredible projects. So it's uh, definitely living the dream. It's a very cool life. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Um, one more que- or a couple more questions for you on living the dream. If you could pick three celebrities to have dinner with, who would you pick? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not one of the options, though. <laughs> Darn! Um, wow, that's so. I would love to have dinner with Sir Richard Bronson. I would love to just be in his space, in his energy, and pick his brain about the amazing things that they do at Virgin. I well, they're getting ready to have the the Bright Line become the Virgin train. Yes. So that's a big thing. Yes, they're they they. Speaking of Bright Line, they've already started the I think it's a four billion dollar expansion of uh, from West Palm Beach to Orlando. Yeah, I've seen where they've been clearing the the tracks to basically literally they go up. Um, well, they go up the tracks like uh, through 95 on like US 1, and then they're going to cut over through Bavard County where my project is, and then they're going to go over the beach line east, or sorry, west to Orlando. Yeah, I know. So I'm super, well, I, I'm from Orlando, so I'd be mm-hmm. super excited when, you know, the day I can just hop on a train and not put the miles on my car. <laughs> yeah, well, even coming here today, I was like, man, it's bumper to bumper traffic at, at mm-hmm. 1 115. Yeah, I know. That down here, it, it starts kind of early. So, you know, you get morning traffic and maybe like a 45-minute break, and then it starts all over again until yeah. about 7 o'clock at night. So it's it, it's definitely going to be a really great addition to the tra- transportation options that we have down here. Right. So, all right, so Richard Branson's one. You got two more. Um, wow. Celebrities. I... I'd love to sit down with Gloria Stefan. I know that's she's a local celebrity, and I mean an international superstar, obviously. But um, they have a, a really great restaurant, um, Stefan Kitchen, in Design District. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Craig Robinson and and the whole Design District team have done an amazing, amazing job of revamping that entire area. And so they have a free concert series for a couple of seasons a year, and we're actually in it now. That they have a free concert of these amazing artists that they bring in yes, every Friday, Friday. Nights, right? Yeah, and so. So I have gotten the chance to see them, you know, in person, super relaxed. And um, I would definitely would love to, you know, pick her brain about her career and the shift of music to other projects that they've done, mm-hmm. um, especially down here uh, in South Florida. And I grew up, you know, listening and singing to, you know, singing and dancing to her songs. So 
uh, definitely uh, a big fan of, of the Stefans. Mm-hmm. Well, if you include both of them, that gets you to three because you got oh, Emilio Estefan. True, true, true. But I want to, I want to, I want to do one more. Okay. Um, who else? There's so many. I mean, um, so many. Dinner. Pick a brain. Well, I mean, you got an athlete. You got, I mean, a lot of people. J-Lo's been a popular pick on. You know, I was getting that. I was getting to that. I'm a huge J-Lo fan. I think she's an incredible um, person, woman, Latina. Uh, As a, you know, Latina myself, I've been watching her and admiring her. Um, her entire career from the time that she did Selena. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I actually used to watch her as a fly girl, you know, and uh, I can't believe, you know, the incredible things that she's been able to achieve, not just in uh, music as an entertainer, but as an actress, as a fashion designer, perfume designer, homewares. I mean, she's really taken um, every space and just excelled at every space. And, and being in the presence of a person like that, of a very powerful woman like that, I would I would love to have dinner with her. Yeah, and even myself, I, mean, I think she'd be an interesting um, person. I have met her before. Uh, she did nice. live in the same condo. That I did, and I, I met her at the pool. This is when she had just had um, the twins. I think maybe they were a year old, but this is when she was still married to Mark Anthony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But literally, like, she was down by the pool, and my balcony, I could, like, see who was there or whatever. So I was like, man, I think that's J-Lo. <laughs> so I went down. Wow. <laughs> and um, it was, like, her. And I think it was her mom. I'm pretty sure it was her mom because this was, like, maybe 2012, I think. And um, anyway, they were there watching the kids, but... Uh, no, I, actually, it wasn't that. They came and were next to me. And so, anyway, I talked to, to her for a little bit, but I was afraid to talk to her for too long because they had, like, the security guards there and everything, and I didn't want, like, some guy to just come and throw me out <laughs> kind of a thing. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, she was very nice and very pleasant. I've heard a lot of things um, about that with her. So she just had that movie come out called, uh, I think it was called Hustlers, that actually got, um, it was about dancers and mm-hmm. things. And it got good reviews. But it's very interesting because there aren't that many people that can be like a pop culture icon both in music and in movies and in, in the business world. Because really, if you think about it, I mean, growing up, gosh, I was trying to think of like just you know famous women because growing up in the 80s, I mean, you had Dolly Parton in the country music world. And she's still very popular today, but she had like Madonna and they also did some movies and stuff, but I don't think they ever got to the level of, of J-Lo. And, I mean, when you talk about, like, successful women in pop culture, I think, to me, it's like J-Lo and, like, Oprah are the top. Mm-hmm. And, and I like Sofia Vergara, but I don't think that she's at the level that J-Lo is because she's been, you know, known for being very attractive and a model and mod- modern family and stuff, but she hasn't been a this, you know, big big movie star she's always been like tv and everything but but j-lo's done like everything and always like with an a plus mm-hmm. yeah no she's she's definitely um at the top of the list when i think of you know successful powerful women who have really you know literally taken every space every every space that she's attempted completely excelled at it Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she's broken many records. Um, some of those records are because she's had number one whatever thing, whether it's a movie or a song or 
you know, a residency or a tour at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, as the woman who, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the, I would want to say that I'm not at my peak, that I'm still peaking, you know, um, with wearing different different hats, many different hats. Um, you know, I, I have my role here at the center. I do have my own business. I'm writing a book. Podcast is a, is a new notch on, on, on you know, on one of the hats. Um, I do a lot of community work. So there's so many aspects to what I do, and which is part of living the dream. You know, I have curated my life to be everything that I want to do. There's nothing in my life that I'm like, no, I never want to do that. It, it, and if I ever think that, it's something that I stop doing. You know, so it's it's one of those things where, um, obviously, it's taken me a lot of time, you know, years to to accomplish. But every aspect of my life, I love. I love my family, my friends, my church life, um, how I serve at my church, my business, my my role here. Um, you know, my involvement in the community. Everything is is curated to to bring. You know, it's part of my peace and joy. It's part of of what brings you know joy to my soul. Mm-hmm. So definitely, um, definitely, live, I feel like I'm living the dream. Yeah. You know, and I posted something on my Instagram um, a couple of days ago where um, it was a picture of a glacier, and it had um, only a small portion of the glacier, glacier above this um, above the water, mm-hmm. and the idea was this is what people see, and they'll they'll see the success, but underneath the water, there's a the the biggest portion of the glacier is underwater, and the idea this is what people don't see exactly your success, and they don't see you know the um, the the heartache and the the stress and the trial and error and the failure and the money that you have to spend and then you have to you know you try to have connections with people and then they turn out to be a flake and then like in your book writing um, you know that's not something that you can just go out and find the right person you got to have some type of introduction and hopefully. It, you know, it works out, and you stick with the process, and then you have some ups, but you have as many downs. And I think, you know, we're kind of going back to J Lo. That's why I think a lot of women, and I, and I don't think of J Lo is it's turned into a J Lo show here. <laughs> but and she wrote a book too, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure she has. Um, she's gonna have her own cooking show. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but um, but the thing about it is. Um, you know, now in society, they talk about, um, you know, they have the thing like boss babe or this and that and, um, you know, women increasing in different roles. And I, I guess I have like a different take on that because I grew up when I was in, in, in Kentucky. And I mean, I never thought anything different with my with my women classmates because I looked at them as my equal and peers. And we were on um, on the honors classes together. We were on uh, teams, and they would do just as well as any of the guys, a lot of times better. So I never in my mind thought, you know what, there's not a reason why you know, so-and-so couldn't be the CEO of a company because she's very smart, she's very driven. And I feel like that you know, regardless of what your situation is, a story like J-Lo should be an inspiration to everybody because she grew up in the Bronx with um, you know, not... Um, um, a rich family. She got where she um, is today through hard work, and um, which, if you're going to be a success, that's what 99% of the people have to do. 99% of the people don't have a situation where they just have a family business handed to them. And I think it's you know a testament to to anybody that 
you can do what you want to do. Number one, if you're focused on it, you're dedicated to it, and you don't um, give up when you have a, a setback. Because everyone's going to have a setback. Absolutely. But I just feel like, you know, people say, well, I, I don't have the same opportunities. And I'm like, I just don't, maybe I'm naive, but I just don't think that's necessarily the case. Because I think in some cases it's harder for some people um, than it is for others. But if you put the, the effort in, the time, and if you show initiative, I think you can get to where you want to go. It may take longer than you expected. But I also feel, too, that what I've seen in my life is there are people out there who have succeeded when they, when they see people that have that drive and initiation. They will take those kind of people under their wing and be mentors. And I think, you no, know, it seems like that society is getting more and more about having mentors Absolutely. to direct people. So anyway, that's why I just think, and I don't even know, you know, if you ask me to name a couple of JLo songs, I, <laughs> I think I could name, maybe name like one because I'll see like my my women friends on social media post about it or whatever. And um, Name one. Gosh. I, <laughs> it was, I can't remember. There was something about... It was one about dancing, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot what it was. But it, it was like she was in some type of, like, workout outfit, and she was, like, Always. sweating all of over course. the place. And of course. <laughs> I forgot what it was, but I was like, you know what? That's a pretty good song. <laughs> no. But I look at things like that, and um, I just think, you know what? If, if, if J-Lo can do it, then there's no reason why the person from small-town Kentucky – can't do it or the person who lives in you know miami or fort lauderdale or you know small town texas or i mean because a lot of the success stories you think of are people who've grown up in small towns or difficult situations and they kind of rise above um, their situation absolutely i mean being able to so before i say what i'm going to say i, I also think <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it because it, it it sets up you know what I want to say also. So I agree with you. I think that there's definitely something to be said about um, a person who has um, the gumption to like go after their dream. That's a good word. Gumption. Yeah, <laughs> it was the word of the day the other day, so I I learned it, <laughs> and I'm like I really want to use this word somewhere, and so. To have the gumption or, like, the, the drive, the the feeling of, hey, you know what, I don't care what's going to take, but I'm going to do this. It's not everybody who, who wakes up one day and says, hey, you know what, I'm going to go after my dream. And so you have to have something inside you. There's a, there's a light bulb. There's a click. There's a spark at some point. And sometimes it happens really early in life, and sometimes it happens later in life, and sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Um... Where you're just like, this is what I want to do with my life. This is my life's purpose. And I'm going to pursue that until the end of my days. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure J-Lo had that moment. And that's her drive and persistence has driven her to that success. And I personally can say that I've had that moment, which is why it's driven me to, to my success this far. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the next 10 years, you know. Um, I'm an immigrant. You know, I was born in Dominican Republic, mm. and I got to the United States when I was eight. You know, and that is an experience that um, unless you've been through that, where you've left your home country and, and lived in a 
different place with a different culture and a different language and you had no connections and you had to start from scratch, you can't describe it because it's such a life-changing experience and it drives whatever you're made of comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, th- your courage, your determination, your um, literally everything that's inside of you, that seed that's meant to succeed, it comes out of you because you have no choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially for people, um, you know, I always have this conversation. We have, you know, a, a huge concentration of uh, Cuban-Americans here in, in Miami, and I respect them so much because, you know, I came on a plane, and a lot of these Cuban immigrants will risk their life on a, on a pool raft, mm-hmm. on a floaty, to come to the United States because the situation there is so bad. I mean, you have to really think about, and, and not trying to get political here, but you have to really mm-hmm. think about how bad a situation has to be where you'd rather float on a pool floaty for 50 miles and see what happens than to stay. Mm-hmm. And so I respect my, my Cuban-American fellows uh, a lot because, you know, if that's how you had to come here, I mean, you, you're risking everything yeah. to, to, to have a second chance at, you know, working three jobs to make ends meet, you know. And as an immigrant, I, can, I remember watching my mom go from, you know, working a really great job in an office to having to go clean homes, you know, to go clean houses or clean offices. And at some point, I actually had to go with her to help her so we could finish faster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love my mom and respect her for all the sacrifices that she had to do. And I watched her go through all that stuff, and it, it just developed a profound respect for my mother um, in a whole different way, not just as my mother, but as a woman who had to do whatever she had to do to feed her kids and to have mm-hmm. a roof over her head and over their head um, so that I could go to school here, you know, versus, you know, living a life of, you know, a, a question mark. Because right. I don't know what would have happened, you know, if we would have stayed in the Dominican Republic. I'm sure it would have been great. I have, you know, a lot of family that lives there and I know a lot of people who live there and they have, you know, a great life, um, relatively, you know, because, again, political turmoil and we won't get into that. But... Um, it's definitely better here. <laughs> right. It's definitely better here. So the, the fact that I did go through that experience has, of course, you know, given me the incredible privilege of being able to go to school here. And through one situation or another, I found myself in design school. And, you know, um, luck is experience and, um, you know, favor and right timing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's one yep, of those things. Timing is a, is a big thing because there are a lot of people that you'll put in the the time and effort and it's like you know what I want to be an NBA basketball player or whatever and you know you can practice and practice and practice but sometimes you may not get that opportunity mm-hmm. unless you know someone gets hurt and they need to sign a backup point guard and you happen to be there I mean you just never know what the the plan is but the the bottom line is if you don't have the drive to start and, and continue on the journey you won't get there because there are so many people that may have the same aspirations and it's easy to quit but if people can continue and stay focused um, I I think you know there's no reason why you can't at least say that you you've done all you can Uh, like I mean I guess I I think I said earlier there's no reason why you can't achieve your dream and I guess I should back that up a little bit because like let's say you want to be a doctor and you know you know what I always want to be that that doctor, that plastic surgeon, whatever. But the bottom line is, if you don't pass the 
the exams. If you don't get into med school, you're not going to achieve that. That being said, you can still have the same drive to be, you know what, okay, I can't be a doctor, but I want to be a PA, or I want to take this into another career and finding contentment in something else. Absolutely. And and one of the things, too, um, that I wanted to mention is um, doing what you have to do includes washing dishes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember having to assist. You know, I was an assistant. I was a librarian. At, you know, an interior designer librarian is a person who... Um, sets up the the materials library so you're literally folding fabric all day (laughs) you know it's the the beginning little notch in a design career is putting material books away or putting uh presentation boards together or literally getting your designer coffee you know and so being a being available and being flexible and being coachable are things that I have been so blessed with having that kind of of an attitude where I could, I allowed myself to be all those things. And I was able to be coached. I mean, I remember I started as a librarian. I went, I think it was like my first semester of college to do an assignment and it was a job shadow at that firm. And I was working at IKEA and at that firm I went, I think, you know, to do a job shadow. I was shadowing a designer a day in the life. Mm-hmm. And it was just going through her day and seeing, you know, the challenges and putting a project together and going through a meeting with her. And at the end of the project, you know, at the, at the end of the assignment, she was like, well, we're moving from this building to the building next door that we just uh, built up the space. It's a lead certified, uh, lead gold certified space, which was a really big deal at the time. It was mm-hmm. the early 2000s. And we need a librarian to fix this 2000 square foot library. It's the size of a house. <laughs> and it was for the architecture and, and the interior design department. I'm like, well, I don't know what that is, but if you're willing to, to give me a chance, I will do whatever I can to do it. And it took me a year. It took me an entire year to devise a system that would work for them. And after and it was a paid internship, basically. Um, but I got the experience of working with these amazing interior designers and really picking their brain and being available and coachable. And that led me to, you know, the next step. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people and and my millennials, you know, my fellow millennials, because, you know, I'm, a, I'm like right on the edge mm-hmm. <laughs> of being a millennial. It's this generation is all about extending a hand and it landing in their, in, in their hand. And that's not real life. Real life is really hard work. Yeah. Real life is a lot of dedication and a lot of sleepless nights. And maybe you get two jobs or maybe you get a third job. Um, you know, to really make it happen. So um, I'm just so lucky and blessed that I was actually able to go through all those things. And I said this, and, and I've, I've said this many times before, it's without all of the experience, literally including the librarian experience, without all of the experience that I've had in these last 15 years, I wouldn't be able to sit in my office and do my job because I have so many different a- aspects of my job that I literally need everything that I've done before to do it right. Right, and I like the word uh, coachable that you use. That, that'll be the word of the day, coachable. <laughs> because I think, um, you know, I think for some people, um, let's say when they finish high school and they were like valedictorian or they're used to being, you know, the, the star on the football team and the basketball team, they, some people get into this attitude that they're, they're too good mm. for, for oh, something. Yeah. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, if you're not coachable, then you're uh, just not growing. And the thing about it is there's so many experiences that you need to learn along the way 
that if you can't humble yourself, you're never going to grow. And if you're not growing, you're dying because at the end of the day, you've always got to advance. I mean, as a lawyer, I have to, you know, I've been practicing 15 years. I still have to learn stuff every day. Mm-hmm. I, when I started my new job, I had to learn about digging or designing um, uh, water treatment. Well, I knew about water treatment systems, but um, <laughs> gosh, what was it called? List stations. And for those who don't know what a lift station is, well, when you go to the bathroom, the lift station is what basically lifts the poop up into the water, uh, okay. the sewer system. So, you know, we've gone to a new level here. But at the end of the day, I didn't know that kind of stuff because I was developing high-end hotels and um, all this stuff. I didn't have to do that. All that stuff was already there. But I had to learn about this kind of stuff because we're di- taking raw land and just building stuff out but if I'm not coachable if I'm thinking well you know I'm this Miami hotshot attorney and I'm going to this small town these people are beneath me then I wouldn't succeed in my current job because mm-hmm. you've got to be open and willing to learn from other people and, and grow so you got to be coachable absolutely so. and I got into this industry when I started I was 19 years old so it's one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like I got in so young, I've always been mentored. And then I don't know when it happened, but now I'm the one mentoring people. <laughs> and I'm still being mentored by, you know, peers that are that have been in the industry longer. So I think um, it has served me to have been served, and now I get to serve other people. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's a really beautiful cycle of being coachable. And this whole coachable discussion has been brought to you by J-Lo. <laughs> We love you, J-Lo. Yeah, I have to see if I can get her on the show. <laughs> so You're going to invite me back, man, if you do. <laughs> well, if I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling if I have J-Lo on the show, I'm going to have to have a sponsor for the podcast rather than going through the, the free offerings and stuff because I don't know that she would come on for free, but maybe so. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. You never know. Well, Anel, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast um, and giving some insight on uh, the Design Center of the Americas and also your career as an interior designer and also talking about, uh, you know, the things we just finished up on, on like life and uh, being coachable and progressing in the career. I, I think it's um, an important message for a lot of people um, in, in today's society. So I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, um, thank you very much for coming on and hope you have a great holiday season. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me and for inviting me. It was a pleasure talking about my love of interior design and life. So thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Uh, Thanks. So um, you can check out more on the Design Center of Americas um, by going to the website www.dcota.com. That's Dakota, which is an acronym for the Design Center of the Americas. And you can get in touch with Anel by email at anel, A-N-E-L, at D-C-O-T-A dot com, especially if you're like an interior designer uh, or let's say you're wanting to renovate your home and you need a referral for interior designers. That way you can go through Anel. She can give you some good recommendations, help get your expectations, your budget correct, things like that, make your process a whole lot easier because I'm sure a lot of my listeners are like me. You don't have time for a whole lot of extra stress, and so Anel can help make that process a whole lot easier for you. Absolutely. So, again, uh, thanks a lot to Anel DeCastro for coming on the show. Uh, Hope you all enjoy the show. Uh, Continue to follow us online at www.benandrodney.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at Ben Wilson Miami. Thanks a lot, and have a great day.